It's Thursday. Today is Thursday. I've brought you the greatest gift of all. Oh, yeah? Well, in that case... Entertain me! It's showtime. Make use of the help that God puts around you. We are not a glum lot. A promise is a promise. It's very simple. Just don't drink and go to meetings. Give time, time. Easy does it. I do it. Want to have self-esteem? Just do esteemable things. One day at a time. We carry the message, not the alcoholic. Don't quit before the miracle happens. With an effective character, three guys sitting around talking about our personal experience in recovery. Hey, I'm Mike. I'm Dennis. Greetings and salutations. James here. The opinions are our own. We don't represent any particular organization, institution, or fellowship today. Steve will be sharing his experience, strength, and hope with us on this episode 30 of the Effective Characters podcast. Let's go. Steve. Oh, gentlemen. 30 episodes. Uh, I will, yeah, really? this is the 30th. This is big. Wow, that's pretty huge, yeah. So, um, I will say, <laughs> hold on, Dennis was in the kitchen eating an egg sandwich. You're going to have to be closer. Um, while we look back at the, the last 30, there were a lot of topics, um, a lot we of speakers. Take a tour of them all and touch on our memories of them. Now, outside of, uh, outside of maybe the, the speakers, was there a topic that you guys went back and listened to that helped you out through anything? No. I I want to I, I the actually the other day, I was signed up to chair a meeting, and I didn't want to chair the meeting. Like I woke up, you know, like tired and not wanting to go to the meeting or whatever, and I just happened to like put on the the service one. The, the, it's the newer one, the service work one. And I'm listening to it. And then I hear either me or James or something that says, you know, you just, you just show up and you just do it, you know, especially if you don't want to do it. So then I ended up like, oh, shoot, I guess I got to go and chair this meeting. And I did. And it was well. So I think it's probably like it worked out. And worked I, out. I think that's perfect for, uh, for the guy that's going to be sharing his story with us today. Uh, I'm gonna let uh, James intro him, but I I do ha- I do have a uh, I guess a personal I guess a personal connection because moved to town. Steve was one of the first guys that extended his hand out and said, "Hey, we're going off out for breakfast. You want to come along?" And um, I really valued his friendship right from the get go because at the time I had a year and a half sobriety and was moving to Celebration, Florida, without any friends. And he, he's been one of my best friends in sobriety over the last five plus years because he actually cares, you know. And if there's something that any of us is going through, instead of being like, oh, good luck with that, he, uh, he shares a little bit about how he got through it, which is so important. And without that, I think the magic of the fellowship of AA um, would not be what it is today. So that's my experience with Steve. Uh, James, do you want to intro? Sure, yeah. Uh, agree with you 100%. I, I came up to a celebration two and a half years ago, and Steve reached out his hand uh, to me. And my uh, my wife, we had just been married, and we came into the rooms together. And he was one of the one of the old-timers that was just absolutely remarkable always um pleasant always fun to be around um kind never saying anything negative you know we had a lot of people saying oh you guys uh 
couples usually don't make it, you know, uh, in the rooms together. You guys should go to separate meetings. Steve just had nothing but positive things to say, like, oh, I'm so happy for you guys. That, you know, and he was, um, he's been like one of my best friends and um, someone I always look up to and can ask about anything. And I'm just so grateful for his kindness and generosity and just overwhelming love that he's shown me and my wife in our path to recovery. So I'm um, very pleased he's here to share. Uh, without further ado, here's Steve. All right. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to talk today. And uh, thank you for those intros. I will pay you later. <laughs> my, name, my name is Steve, an alcoholic. My sobriety date is uh, May 31, 1978. And um, I really don't know exactly what to do. I have spoken before groups in the past and told my story. It's boring as hell to me because it doesn't change much. Um, I was born in a s small town in the southern part of Minnesota. My mom and dad and I moved up to Minneapolis where my father enrolled at the University of Minnesota in a pre medical program. Now that's a long time ago because I am going to be 79 this year, so you can do the math. Shortly after he enrolled, he was drafted into World War II, and my mother and I, I am told, uh, moved back to her mother's home, which was a very small town in Minnesota of 300 people, all Belgian. They had come from Ghent, Belgium, and settled in a little town called Ghent, Minnesota. And that's where I spent the first 10 or 11 years of my life. Uh, my earliest recollections as a child, not real pleasant, it took us, my father's return from the service to figure out that I had a blind eye. And as a result, my coordination and depth perception was bad and you know you start the thing out by being the last one picked to serve on on the teams if there were there weren't 25 people if there were 10 people I could count on being number 10 being picked in almost by default because I had to go somewhere I can remember uh, even the simple games like playing kick the can I'd come running in to kick the can I'd miss the can so I was kind of the butt of the jokes, the last one to be called on. The only one in this little town that didn't have a father at home. And uh, so it, wasn't, it was kind of a lonely uh, existence for me. I thank God for my grandmother. My mother was working in a town five miles away uh, during the war. And my grandmother more or less raised me. And uh, she was fiercely protective of the ridicule that I would get for my various uh, lack of coordination. So anyway, like that, that's okay. So now in high school, we moved to a larger town when dad come back from the service. And my mother told me many times that dad was not the same when he came back. He was uh, withdrawn and uh, had won a bronze star for three days of continuous fighting in the Battle of the Bulge. 
and um, started drinking. And uh, not, not much was thought about it because in that small town, that's kind of what you did. There were 300 people and three bars. Um, in high school, I was uh, probably an average student. I craved attention. I was a class clown. I was always acting out to get attention. My poor mother was called up to the school a lot. And I'll give you a quick aside. We uh, were at a Catholic school. The principal's name was Sister St. Gertrude. And uh, I pulled so much stuff that she actually developed a twitch. I mean, nothing harmful, but I would take, we had a commissary after lunch and I would get an ice cream bar and the kids would be out in the gym playing basketball and they couldn't wear their shoes and I'd put the ice cream bar in somebody's shoe and then when the bell rang, they'd be stumbling around with ice cream in their shoe. I would fill a wastebasket up with water in the bathroom and pour it over a stall on one of the underclassmen in the stall. And so uh, Twitch, I kept Twitch busy. I'm going to fast forward for a minute. So now, 1978, I've had it, and I'll get into that a little bit. I check into St. Mary's Rehabilitation Center in Minneapolis. I go up to the reception desk, and there's this old lady sitting there with a nameplate that says Sister St. Gertrude. And I look down, and it's Twitch. She's not in her nun's outfit, but it's her. Name, please. She, she never looked up. I said, Stephen J. She grabbed the folder and opened it up and looked at it for a minute. And she looked up at me and she said, well, this explains quite a bit. <laughs> and I, I'll never forget that. Uh, anyway, after high school, uh, my senior year, I started drinking. And uh, the first time I had drinks, I drank rum and coke. I had a blackout and was trying to climb up the side of the silo. And my dear friend, to this day, my dear friend, pulled me down. And uh, that began my drinking career. But I remember that I'd found a way out. I'd finally found a way out of this life. Alcohol justified my crazy behavior, gave me some sense of belonging because we were all kind of sneaking drinks. Somehow, I, I went, then that graduation year, I went, went to college. I remember taking a bus up to Minneapolis with my suitcase and my portable typewriter in the carrying case, walking about a mile to the campus, checking into my room. And then I hitchhiked about two miles down Cleveland Avenue in St. Paul, to my job that was waiting for me. Red Owl Stores was a grocery store. I had worked for them in high school. They got me a job in Minneapolis, St. Paul. St. Paul. And so it was a hitaway signal, you know? I wasn't around my parents. What the hell? It was party time. Somehow, I managed to get through college.
fact, a few years later, I, years later, I went to the graduate, the graduate school there for a few years. Um, after college, I, I was studying to be a Catholic priest, but I realized but I, I realized women, and I couldn't be a hypocrite. So when I came into college, I had no idea what I wanted to do or be. I saw an ad in the newspaper for a beginning job at Payne, Weber, Jackson, and Curtis. I didn't know who they were or what they were, but I went down, interviewed, and got the job. And I stayed in that industry for 50 years. And through all the insanity and broken marriages and disappointments to my children, I, I somehow managed to get promotions in that industry. I remember distinctly when I first started Payne Weber, going into the bars at night and getting drunk. When I went into the bar, I would describe myself honestly. I was an accountant at Payne Weber. At the end of the evening, I was an executive director of Payne Weber. The irony of that is when I retired, Payne Weber, I had left Payne Weber and gone to another firm, but Payne Weber had been bought out by a giant Swiss firm called UBS, which absorbed the firm that I was currently working for. And so I ended my career as an executive director of the Payne Weber predecessor firm. I don't know if that's one of the promises or what. But in the process of working at Payne Weber, and I, uh, Weber I was uh, struck by this young lady. And, uh, and uh, she, was, she was very we had one. We had one in common drink, and after three dates, three dates, she announced she was pregnant. So, what does a guy do back then? Catholic. We got married. Um, my son <laughs> said to me a few years ago, he's he's 55 now. He said, "Dad, I finally figured out I was about six months premature." But anyway, be that as it may, we had a son. We had a son. We had a daughter daughter and continued to get continued to get worse we both liked to drink and it was the first time that I started to realize that uh, my morals hadn't changed but my behavior had and everything between my morals and my behavior was conflict as an example I would promise my son I'd be home that night to go to Cub Scouts and the look on his face when I'd walk in at midnight, well, maybe not midnight, because he would have been in bed, but I will never forget the looks on my two older children's faces when I had once again let them down. And of course, I justified all this stuff uh, by blaming everybody else. I had a miserable boss, I had a miserable wife, my kids wouldn't behave. Life wasn't giving me a fair shake. Have another drink. At age, I had my first drink at age 17. At age 27, as befuddled and alcohol baffled as my brain was, I realized uh, my drinking was not normal. I could rationalize it and minimize it and go through all other kind of contortions, the fact remained that my drinking was not normal. So at age 27, I went to my first AA meeting. 
And I remember looking at the 12 steps. I was going to AA because I had trouble with my boss, with my marriage, with my kids. I had financial difficulty. Oh, by the way, during along the way, I had dropped my religious, quote, spiritual life. But the 12 steps looked to me like, ah, 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 ah. I mean, I, I was looking for the step that talked about how you get along with your wife. I was looking for the step that told me how I could drink normally. I was looking for the step that told me how to get... They, I didn't see it in the steps. I didn't get it. And I stumbled through AA for 10 years. I think at one time I had two years of sobriety. Other than that, it was three months, six months, nine months. I heartily, sincerely don't recommend that for anybody. It's not a good way to go. Finally, at age 37, I checked myself into treatment with the encouragement of the firm I was working for. That's when I had my encounter with Sister St. Gertrude. And something happened to me in treatment. I call it a uh, spiritual intervention. Nothing was working for me. I was in treatment. My life was out of control. I was desperate. And I had lost my buddy, alcohol. And marijuana, I might add. I, I was introduced to that when I worked in Chicago. By that time, my first marriage had collapsed. My children weren't talking to me. It was not a good time. And my counselor kept, I had to do my first step three times because every time I did it was a recitation. There was no emotion in it. Well, my counselor would say, well, how'd that make you feel? I'd say, well, I think it was a raw deal. You know, I would think this. I would, said, that's not what I'm asking you. How does it make you feel? Didn't get it. I was going to treatment at night. I was working during the day, and I was jogging uh, in between work and treatment. And I remember sitting in my bedroom, changing into my jogging clothes. And as I'm lacing up my shoes, the wreckage of my life started to flow in front of me. And the, the most poignant <clears throat> memory is a memory that stays to this day, the looks on my children's faces. It's very emotional for me even now. And I had a breakthrough. I started crying unconditionally. I, I don't know how long I sat there in my bedroom crying. Finally, I stopped, and I had a feeling of serenity that I'd never had before, and frankly, I haven't had since. And it took me a few days to realize, and I think in this regard I'm different than some stories, although the same in most of it. I realized about three days later that the desire to drink had left me. I no longer have the desire to drink. The motivation to try and start my life over and help other people and rehabilitate myself was overarching. I will say parenthetically that one of the things that really helped me in treatment was the notion we had a doctor come in 
and he talked about the disease component of alcoholism. I had fought the notion that I was some moral cripple or character defect. I've since come to realize I have a lot of character defects. But I also have a disease. And I learned about the characteristics of the disease. I became pretty knowledgeable about the disease. In fact, I used to have doctors call me and ask me various aspects of it. I learned that alcoholism is a disease, according to the AMA and the APA, that is primary, progressive, chronic, and terminal. It was primary because I was trying to fix my marriage before I fixed my drinking. It's like trying to fix cancer with a Band-Aid. It was progressive. It had many elements of other diseases like cancer, heart, etc. It moved along at different rates and different people. Some people drink for years before they have a blackout. I had a blackout the first time I drank. It's chronic. If I start drinking today, God forbid I don't, I, in a short period of time I'd be right back where I was. And it's terminal. Either my liver says, you know what, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Or I hit a bridge abutment. Or I just reach the end of my line and take my own life. The notion of the concept of the disease of alcoholism was a big help to me. And perhaps that may help some of you that are listening. You're not a moral defect. You don't have a character weakness. It's a disease. And so... As I moved along in my recovery, most decisions don't come to me like a blinding light. They kind of grow on me, and all of a sudden I wake up one day and go, oh yeah, oh yeah. And one of those, and one of those things was, I'm this deal, deal. Engaged, fully engaged. I'm not a once a week out meeting guy. Although I was for 20 years. I went to one meeting a week for 20 years. And then now, kind of set it aside. I didn't drink, but I didn't, I wasn't engaged. I had a sponsor. I mean, oh, okay, I had a sponsor. I had a sponsor. I didn't sponsor. So I started sponsoring people. I started paying more attention to my sponsor. I started reading about AA. I started praying. I started going to more than one meeting a week. I became fully engaged in this program. It became my ground zero. Uh, over time, I realized that without my sobriety, everything else goes to hell. My spirituality, my relationships with other people, my financial, my relationships with my children, all starts with ground zero. I don't want to sit here and indicate that my life has been perfect since then. I've had a good life, good life. I've had wonderful things happen to me. I progressed my job. I reestablished my relationships with my children. But I had a second marriage collapse. I married for the third time with great fear. Uh, obviously, there was something I was doing that wasn't working. And uh, we were married for 36 years. We had a bump in our marriage. We bent, but we didn't break. And we're coming up now on 38 years of marriage to my best friend, my supporter, who never grumbles when I say I have to go to a meeting, uh, is very supportive. 
of my program knows how important it is to me and to her. But to sit here and say that my life's been perfect since I sobered up isn't right. But it's been wonderful. It's been wonderful. I'm finding that even the bad times help me appreciate the good times better. You know, uh, Dennis, James, and uh, Zach, that's about all I got. Thank you very much for listening. Now, this is the part of the show where we actually uh, thank you by identifying. What's that, Zach? It's, it's uh, oh yeah, by the way, and this is a little behind the scenes. So, the relationship that I have with Steve, uh, professionally, I go by the name Zach. So, he calls me, he calls me that, uh, and it, it means a lot to me because, uh, as I'm identifying too, um, as I was, I guess, doing an intro of the intro, um, whenever I'm doing anything with, with work, uh, Steve will always be somebody that goes, hey, do you hear what he's doing with this? And, uh, it, uh, and he'll show up. If, anytime I do anything with the charity, it's so funny that um, he, he'll, he'll show up. I did something crazy where I actually stayed multiple days uh, in a dumpster trying to get uh, cans for a charity and in, in yeah he cans of food and in comes in Steve with his entire back of his SUV loaded up and everybody came around and uh, it's just the type of guy that he is that's service work and I know we talked on that topic before service work has many different ways that it can look but it's really at the core doing something for somebody else. Um, and he, he does that all the time. I, I, I could identify in a lot of what you were saying, Steve, and something I think that was so poignant was that there are, if you stick around the rooms, there are so many different seasons and challenges that can present themselves. But without even going to that meeting a week, I'm sure there are things in your life that came up that you wouldn't have had a solution for, you know? Um, There's sometimes uh, that you'll go to a bunch of meetings and and be all loaded up and then life takes you away, but you know at the core, the disease that you have, the solution is the principles, the steps, and maybe some of those traditions that really make it uh, important. I know without those in my life, it wouldn't be the same and we wouldn't be friends today. So uh, James, you wanna identify? Yeah, Mike. uh Thank you very much, Steve. Very eloquent. I've never heard your story. I've listened to your shares. Also very eloquent in in the past two and a half years. And I could identify with a lot. You know, uh, a little bit of my story. I came in when I was 23, when my first son was born. And I was like, wow, I can't stop drinking and doing cocaine. Maybe I should get some help. I've got a new son. Um, And that... Worked for a little bit, but I couldn't keep more than 30 days of sobriety. Um, that I tried that until 2008 where I went to rehab. And I brought a bunch of drugs into the rehab with me. And, uh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't until when I was 37 when I had a spiritual intervention. It, just like you. It's, it's remarkable. And where, you know, the light the light switch was turned on and I too cried for probably, I couldn't, it was just sobbing, sobbing, bawling for, had to be an hour straight. And, 
you know, I was just yelling at the top of my lungs, like all the bad stuff I'd ever done. I was like, please, God, just take it away. I don't want to feel like this anymore. But through that storm, through it all, I I felt this this serenity, this peace. And I know exactly how you felt because I have been there. And I remember going into um to a church the next day with my fiance, and uh, I remember stopping at the doors of the church, and I, I still felt this like I couldn't go in. I'm not worthy. And I remember uh, my fiance at the time turned around. She looked me in the eye. She's like you're forgiven. God forgives you. And it's like God spoke through her. I got chills just now thinking about it. I got chills then too. And that was like the second part of my spiritual experience. Like, whoa. And I walked in and it's never been the same since. So it's Steve, thank you so much. And I'll, I'll finish with this. I, I, you know, I had two children and they watched some pretty dark times in my life. And I remember seeing little faces and just like telling me, Dad, you know, you don't have to drink today. And I remember telling them that, yeah, Daddy has to drink, you know, and just the the utter defeat in their faces when they saw that I chose alcohol over them. Not anymore. Thanks. Hi, Steve. <laughs> Hello, DA. Steven. Yes, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, whenever I see Steve, he's like, Constantly, like pretty consistently meets me with Dennis. <laughs> I was like, oh, Steven. At first I thought I was getting in trouble for something all the time. And then I realized it was a term of endearment. Uh, but uh, thank you, Steve, for joining us and tell your story. Um, I met Steve probably the first meeting that I went to. And since then, we've become really close friends. I get the honor of like hanging out with him sometimes and going to dinner or just sitting around and talking and stuff. And it's been like you've been very vital to my recovery and I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I've heard you speak several times and it's it's I love your story because it seems so big, but you're like so humble about your life. Um, I can definitely relate to like where you talked about going into the meetings and like looking for the answers and the steps and not being a not being a finder with my wife along with my wife how do I drink normally and I think it's very I think it's very common for people like your people in and all of a sudden you see a bunch of people people talking about alcohol but they're not really talking about drinking or the problems that they're going through and stuff they're talking about all this weird stuff with these weird terminologies and phrases and talking about these steps and God and all of this. So it's like, what is going on here? And it takes a little bit to like for things to sink in and start to make sense and stuff. But once you, once they do it, like it works, you figure it out. Stop James. <laughs> You're laughing at me. I'm not laughing at you. Keep Touching the cord and that messes it up. Well, is that, is that... <laughs> <laughs> we have a no cord touching rule now? Yes. Yes. Don't touch the cord. Okay. No. We're self-sustaining. <laughs> Sorry, mommy. I didn't, but, uh... I didn't want to interrupt. Do you know Dennis? <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna stop anything. There's a fly. He's like, oh, James. look at that, James. You're annoying me again. All right. 
All right, back to, back to the, I think we're working here. Yeah. Oh, for God. Um, yeah, I, I think it's it's one of those things that you keep coming back, even if you don't think that it's going to work or you don't. I just touched the cord again. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. Um, I'm, I'm gonna, that event, like, you know, the more you come back and the more you learn, if you're open-minded and willing, it's just trust. Because, like, those people in the room that are talking all that stuff that you don't understand have done it they've been where you've been and if you keep coming back that it's all going to start making sense and you'll start realizing that the answers to all of those little problems that you have like getting along with your wife and how do you keep a job and all of this kind of stuff is in those steps because it teaches us how to live and process information process our emotions and deal with life on life's terms and you mentioned that like your life hasn't been perfect and me personally my life hasn't been perfect since i got better or since I got sober either. But because of the program and the fellowship and everything, it's gotten easier to go through those imperfections. You know what I'm saying? Where you can just, you learn how to deal with life on life's terms and stuff. So before where we would drink and usually make every situation worse, the program teaches us how we can get through that. So even on our worst sober, it's kind of cliche, but even on our worst sober day, it's better than life was before you know and i like how you said like you're not like a run-of-the-mill aa guy or something where you only go to a meeting once a week and you are involved in stuff like you are very involved you go to multiple meetings some days and stuff like that and you know i like to do the same you know like where i spend a lot of time in isolation and and alone and in my head and all of this stuff that like being a part of the group and actually like taking on service commitments and and being there every day and talking to other alcoholics and stuff like that, it gets me to be a part of something else, but it strengthens my own recovery, my own sobriety. You know, it's it's invaluable. You know, you have to take it as seriously as you took your drinking, you know, and I would drink no matter what. You know, like it wouldn't, like I didn't need an excuse. I didn't need whatever. I was going to drink. Even if I didn't have money or anything, I was going to drink. And it's the same way now where, you know, I have a job now. I don't think we even mentioned that on the podcast, but we don't need to. Um, so I'm like more tired and more sore and it's easy to like, oh, I don't want to wake up at 630 and go to this meeting. But I do it anyways, because you know, doing this habit and this thing and, and doing it is what's got me to the point where I am. So if I stop it, then I'm going to start sliding backwards and I don't want that to happen. But anyways, thank you, Steve. You're awesome. Oh, You're amazing. You. Thank you. Yeah, de definitely appreciate you. And uh, there there are some um, amazing things with this. I, I guess we've been doing this now, what, the last five months pretty much since September? Sounds about right. And... Uh, we we have a way that anyone that is listening from wherever you are 15 now different countries are listening and uh someone reached out recently we don't have to say where they are who they are but uh through twitter and maybe uh this is something where if you you find you uh can identify with what's been said either uh with a topic and something we've said or, or a speaker just reach out to us and let us know you're listening. And there's a way they can do that, Dennis. 
Yeah, find us on Twitter at the, the underscore characters, and we've had an uptick in like people reaching out, people reaching out to us, and it's good to hear for feedback on on what we're doing, but also how you're doing and stuff. You know, in in um, yeah. I mean, that's about it. Like, talk to us, and we'll talk back if you're lucky. Uh, Just yeah. kidding. We it, everybody, everybody's lucky. Yeah. What was yeah. that about? I don't it was know. Kind of, it, was kind of, kind of, it was kind of dark. It was cool. I'm sorry. I'm uh, sorry. I, I didn't love it. I'll keep that in here. But but uh, we'll be back next sharing our experience, strength, and hope with you on episode 31, where the defective character is entirely ready to have all these character defects removed. To remember, just don't drink and go to meetings. And we'll see you next time. I love it. Bye.